Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. You've lost your first love. And so I'd, I'd like to share with you how, as, as I continue to walk through uh, my life or through college, I lost my first love. And it all started my junior year of college. I was coming in to uh, Concordia University, Ann Arbor. I'd just driven up from Missouri, uh, and we were starting two-a-days for cheerleading. I was a cheerleader for, for quite a few years. Uh, I did football for 10 years and then decided I could hit guys or throw girls. So in college, I went for girls. And it just it seemed like a better idea. It worked out better for me. Um, and that first day of two-a-days, I'm standing there, and our team was small, so our dance team was practicing with us. And I just see a girl there that I, I couldn't take my eyes off. I don't know what it was, but something about her, she was just, she, she was so pretty. And a few days later, I took her, took her out on a date, and we were just hanging out, and a relationship developed from there. And as we continued to grow, as we continued to get to know each other, she spent time with my family, I spent time with her family. I got very close with those people. I was able to just be a, a, a part of their lives. And a little while later, um, Thanksgiving of my senior year, I went up to their house for Thanksgiving, I think. Yeah, no, we were up there. And then I took her dad out to breakfast and asked if I could marry his daughter. And he was just so excited. He was, he was overjoyed. He thought, no, this, this is perfect. This is great. We've seen you two together. We're so excited for you. This will be awesome. And so I got a ring. And on January 26th, Rachel and I were in Seward, Nebraska, one of the most romantic cities. And uh, for some of you who know the Concordia system, you understand, we have a basketball tournament every year, and it involves Concordia Chicago, Concordia Mequon, Concordia Ann Arbor, and Concordia Seward. And this year it was in Seward. And so I was a cheerleader, she was a dancer, we were both there for free. And at the halftime of one of our last games, uh, Rachel thought I was doing a malaria presentation and uh, I ended up grabbing her hand as I walked out there and said, oh, I, I just need your help while I'm doing this. We got out to, to half court, and I dropped to a knee. And then I don't think she has any idea what I said because the entire stadium just erupted. And so I took out the ring, and I gave it to her, and she was crying. She was so excited, and we were engaged. It was very exciting. And then that summer, we, get, we began to plan. We found this gorgeous venue. It's on a golf course. They were going to take care of all the food for us. They were going to take care of all the hors d'oeuvres, everything we needed. They even had time schedules laid out so we couldn't be late. It was just, it was perfect. We reserved the church, this beautiful German church up in Frankenmuth, Michigan. And we were all ready. And then August came, and we hit one of our, 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 our foreseeable hurdles, because I was going to St. Louis to start seminary, and she was staying back in Ann Arbor uh, to finish up school there. She was a little, little nervous about that, but we made it work. Come October, she drove down with a few friends, came down to visit me in St. Louis. That was great. Thanksgiving, I headed back up there. We hung out with my family. And then we talked about plans for Christmas, and the plan was December 21st, we were going to have a huge Christmas party with her and all her family. The only problem with that is that classes ended December 20th. So some of you who know me from VBS know that I drove all the way through the night to get here. That's just kind of what I do. So as soon as classes ended, I packed up my car, I jumped in, and I, I headed out to Michigan. It's probably a seven or eight hour drive. Um, and, and partway through, I was in mid-Indiana, and I hit the biggest winter storm I've ever been a part of. So much so that I, I could not see out my front window, so I had to go very slow. 
but I was able to make it up to Michigan. And then in Michigan, uh, the same sort of thing was happening. It was still storming, but a little ways in, just past Ann Arbor, the roads were just a sheet of, sheet of ice. Now, I know we're in Texas, and y'all don't really have a lot of ice here, but it's hard to drive on. That's the point. And it just got to the, to, to the time when I, I couldn't even hit my accelerator. I just had to allow my car to coast forward, otherwise I'd spin out. I finally got to her road, and I turned down it, and it was even worse. I mean, the storm was still blowing at me, plus it's just this huge sheet of ice. I'm driving down there just coasting, but I see her house in the distance, and I'm just thinking, I, I love this girl, and I've made it. God has kept me safe. This is great. This is perfect. I'm so excited for tomorrow morning. I get to her house about 3 a.m., send a quick text, let her know that I'm there, and then head on down to the basement where my room was set up. About 9 a.m. the next morning, Rachel came downstairs and said, Kevin, it's time to get up. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm tired, but it's time to go. You know, we got to set up. We got to get ready for this Christmas party. I'm so excited. I walk upstairs, and, and I'm just kind of shocked because this is a family that does a ton of things. They, they, they're so active. Something's always going on. Something's always being made in the kitchen. There's always music. Someone's talking. The TV's on. There's always noise. But the house was silent. And it's Christmas, and, and they're in Frankenmuth, and that is like Christmas town in Michigan. Like, it is just huge for it. We have a 365-day Christmas store that is always open. But the tree wasn't turned on. The only light coming into the house was, was shining through the windows. It was coming through kind of that cloud cover that you get during winter. So it's just this gray light spilling into the living room. And all I see in there is Rachel sitting on the couch. So I walk in there. And she says, Kevin, you need to sit down. And my, my initial thought is, oh, my goodness, I know what the roads are like. I, I mean, her family, they're not here right now. They must have gone to do something, and they crashed and something terrible. Oh, I hope they're all right. And before I can ask any questions, Rachel says, I don't think God ever planned for us to be together. And then she said something else, but I was just, I was so shocked at these words, but I have no idea what she said. She left, went and grabbed the bag that I had given her to keep all her ring stuff in. And in the bag was the box. And in the box was that ring. And five or 10 minutes later, she had kind of shooed me out the house because the Christmas party's going on, but I was no longer invited. And so I was on the road making phone calls and I had lost my first love. Now, some of you may, may not have a story similar to that, but I'm sure you have something in your life that, that you have lost, something that you have worked hard for, something that you were just so excited about, so focused on, so ready to have. You knew it was right, and then in the end, it, it didn't work out. Maybe you, you, you have your kids, and you just poured everything you have into your children, and, and you, you brought them to Pilgrim, and, and, and they went through Pilgrim Lutheran schools, and then they went to Lutheran High North, and then they went to Concordia, Texas, or Concordia, Ann Arbor, if you want a better education. And they just went to all of these places, and, and they were just a part of the Lutheran Christian world, and then they come home and they tell you, I don't want to be a part of the church anymore. Or maybe you have a job that, that, that you just, you love and you are just passionate about and you've always shown up on time and you've always stayed late. You've always gotten your projects done early. You've always done them to the best of your ability and they always exceed the expectations of your supervisor. And then here comes this economic decline and you're fired. There are a lot of things that we love in life that, that, that just are taken from us in one way or another. 
And that's what is being shared with the church in Ephesus in this Revelation passage. Now, some of you may be, may be thinking as you look up on the screen and it says 2 Timothy, that's mighty strange that we're talking out of Revelation. But something I want to share with you is that Timothy was the bishop of the church of Ephesus. And so when we're reading this Revelation passage about what is being said to this church in Ephesus, it's being said to Timothy's church. And what it's saying there is that, guys, you have listened to everything that I have said, everything that, that, that we're going to look at in a few minutes here. You've listened to it all and you've done it right. But you forgot something. You left something out. Something's missing. But before we get there, let's take a look at what Paul wrote to Timothy, warning them about. If you're one who likes to follow along, we'll be in chapter 3, starting in verse 9. If not, don't worry, I'll read it to you. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last day. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with these such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers opposed the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected, but they will not get very far. Because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. So what Paul is writing to Timothy is, hey, you are surrounded by people who are going to convince you to just fall short. Be aware of all of these things. Be aware of the Nicolaitans, who our friend who read did a great job of pronouncing. Thank you. That was great. But the Nicolaitans were the people that were surrounding them. The Nicolaitans were the people who were, were coming out and saying, yes, you can be a Christian, you can be a follower of the one true God, but also you can live and be a part of this world. You can be someone who decides, you know what? I want to move in with my girlfriend and we don't need to get married. We don't need to even worry about that because everything will be fine. We'll have our fun and then when it ends inevitably, we'll just end it all and I'll go back to being a Christian and it'll be fine. Their thought was being a Christian and what that meant was not important. And Paul was warning against this. Paul was warning against this adulterous nature, against these people who decided if they didn't like you, they could kill you. He was warning them to not fall into this trap, but to stay true to God. And you all have heard of the church of Ephesians, or of Ephesus, when we read the book of Ephesians, we, we hear about how awesome they were, how great they were, how they were doing everything right, how they knew grace, and they were sharing it with everyone, and how they, they were just always telling people about the love of Jesus and making sure that you knew that you were saved, and it's not because of something you had done. It is only because of the grace of God. But as they continued to move forward, that idea that you are saved because of grace was, was still their message. But this list of warnings became a list of laws. It became something so important that, that, that it overtook the grace of God. 
And we read in Revelation that you guys did exactly what I said. You listened to everything that I told you to do, but in doing so, you forgot to remember grace. You were teaching that if you were going to be saved, you had to follow these rules. And that was wrong. For me, with Rachel, I did everything right. I was that good boyfriend that showed up. I was the one who, when I would rather wear shorts and a t-shirt, showed up to a family event in a suit. I was, I was the guy who would just change how I was in order to make sure the parents were, were happy. I was the guy who would make sure to send flowers just because I knew she was having a terrible day. I was the guy who went to her dad to talk to him and make sure he was okay with me asking her to marry me. I was involved in planning the wedding. I did more than just choose the flavor of the cake. I was just involved in everything. But throughout our relationship, the, the kind of common theme that I continued to hear from Rachel was her asking me, can we do this devotion? Can, can, we, can, can we try this and, and see if that just helps our faith grow? Can you be my spiritual leader? And my response to that was, well, I'm going to be a pastor, all right? We don't need to try to do that. It'll just happen. Everything will be fine. And I wasn't giving her what she needed. What I had done is I'd made it about me and what I was doing and how great I was. And instead of, of, of recognizing how important Christ was and how Christ should be the center of this, I made it about myself. And that's what the Ephesians have done here. You see, Paul is warning them and letting them know, hey, don't fall into this trap. And so they stay out of these traps, but instead fall into another one. They follow all these rules, and instead of it being about sharing Christ, it's about them and how they're living life and how they're staying true to what they've been taught. They left out Jesus. So now in, in what you're doing in your life, with your family, with your kids, you might do everything right. You might be the parent who has the perfect balance between discipline and being kind of a friend for them. You might be the perfect worker who's always doing everything you're asked and more. You might be the perfect friend who's always there when your buddy needs you, but are also willing to tell him, hey, that's not what's right. You might be doing everything right, and it still might not work out. Even if you remember Christ, even if you are constantly living a life for Christ, even if you're doing everything that you're supposed to, that the Bible has told you, that the Bible has shared with you, you are doing it all, you're living it right, it still might go bad. But even when it goes bad, Christ is still with you. Even when I forgot Christ and left him out of my relationship, he was still with me. Even though I lost this first love, this thing that I wanted, he was still there showing me how important I was to him, how important you are to him. You see, Christ, Christ sees you as being his first love. Don't believe me? Look at the cross. Look at what he did for you up there. Look at what he did for you to show you that nothing matters more to him than you. 
And what he asks for in return is he asks for your love. 